Today's scripture is Luke chapter 23, verses 34 through 43. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour whining, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. It was 2003. I was in uh, junior college and uh, on the football team there. And me and one of my teammates, we were in our dorm in the front lobby and we began to wrestle. And so in the course of us tussling and pushing each other around, I ended up uh, basically pushing him through this big glass in the front of our dorm. I mean, this glass was massive. It was probably at least 12 feet high, maybe that, that much wide. And when he went through that glass and, and it all shattered, it was one of those things was like, how did that glass break? Like, it's not supposed to break. And so we got this big hole in the dorm, and now we have to go see the dean of students. And, I mean, they put the fear of God in us. They were talking about us having to pay for it. It was going to be all these thousand dollars. We might get suspended. We might not get to play football. Like, all these different things. And for me, I'm thinking, like, man, I don't want to have to call home and tell my folks that, that this is what's happened. And I, I remember uh, sitting in that, in that dean of students' office and him you know, him giving us a stern talking to and him telling us, you're free to go, you know, go back to your dorm. And just the, walking out of that office, just the weight, it was like, oh, man, like we dodged that one. Like we got off. We're probably going to have to run till we, till we throw up, but that's fine. I'll deal with that. I just don't want to have to deal with the school. And just being reminded of the weight uh, that was lifted um, by, by being pardoned, by being forgiven, by the dean of students that day. And it would be two years later, it would be 2005, that I realized not only am I prone to breaking glass, I'm prone to breaking God's law. It was spring of 2005 that, ah, oh, mm, let's keep going, let's keep going. Um, it was spring of 2005 that I, I came um, to the realization that I was a lawbreaker. And the, hmm, the forgiveness, the weight that was lifted that semester far uh, compares to the, to the forgiveness that I was extended for breaking some glass. Our, our, our text this morning deals with pardon. It deals with forgiveness and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so as we look at our passage this morning, we see Luke. Luke records for us the only gospel account that has these two criminals in their dialogue on the cross there with Jesus. 
And so fitting for our series, again, Luke is showing us, making it plain for all to see Jesus and those who he came to save. And so this morning, our two, our two points, our two themes are going to be just that. We're going to look at Jesus and those he came to save. And so first, let's look at Jesus as his only words of our passage basically bookend our, our text this morning. And so we see the words here of Jesus. Not only does his words bookend the passage, but we see Jesus bookends our passage with mercy and grace. Jesus, as he's being crucified, extends mercy to all of us. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is mercy. Jesus' priestly prayer on the cross makes, makes the grace we find at the end of this passage possible. For he tells the criminal on the cross, today, today you will be with me in paradise. The mercy we find in verse 34 finds its end in the grace that he extends in verse 33. And so Jesus, we see he, he, he extends forgiveness, but he, he also almost extends a petition for mercy. He says, forgive them for they know not what they do. But what is it that they didn't know? Or what is it this morning that we don't know? Jesus is saying that they were blind to the reality of their actions. And so it is with us, blinded by sin. We don't know what we really do when we sin against God. But I believe it's helpful for us to to examine the fact that sin blinds us from seeing Jesus as he is. Jesus was praying to God to forgive them according to the reality of their blindness. Our sin shows us that we are blind to seeing Jesus and knowing him. If, if they really knew Jesus, if they really saw him for who he was, they, would have not, they, would, they wouldn't have crucified him. Peter's sermon at Pentecost confirms who Jesus really is. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, it reads, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus you whom you crucified. It's the work of Satan to blind us from seeing and knowing who Christ really is. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 describes the work of Satan. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Another one of Satan's works is to blind us from the eternal nature of salvation. What Luke depicts in this crucifixion narrative is that all of these characters are mocking Jesus for not saving himself, as as if salvation is only about this life. What we see in the crucifixion is that salvation is not about this life only, but it's primarily about eternal life. Jesus had raised people from the dead. There should have been no doubt that Jesus had the power to save himself. But when we are blind to the reality of eternal life, we judge and measure success all based on this life. For Jesus to defeat sin and death, he had to go through death to accomplish our salvation. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 teach us the reality that everyone will die in this life. It, it reads, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly 
eagerly wait, waiting, who are eagerly waiting for him. What's promised here is that we're all going to die once in this life. The question we need to answer this morning is, will you live again when Christ comes a second time? Will you be living with him? This is the, this is the Jesus we see on the cross pleading with the Father on our behalf, extending mercy. This Jesus, beaten, bruised, and unrecognized, full of mercy and grace on the cross. And so we see Jesus opening up our passage with, with mercy. So for the rest of our time this morning, I, I want to focus on, on and give our attention to those Jesus came to save. In this passage, we have people, rulers, soldiers, criminals, and Jesus in this text, but only one of these was saved. The criminal was saved. I would submit to you this morning that unless you identify as a criminal, you cannot be saved. What's clear from this passage is that Jesus comes to save sinners. But what's convicting and helpful for us this morning is to really pinpoint and identify what sin is. We may have a good idea what sin is. We know sin to be disobeying God. But how many of us have considered ourselves to be criminals before God? Jesus came to save. He came to save criminals. These two men had been convicted of, of terrible crimes. We don't know what, what crimes specifically they committed, whether we call them sinners, criminals, thieves, robbers, liars, or whatever category you want to put it in, it's all law-breaking. 1 John 3, verse 4, tells us that sin is lawlessness. And so what is lawlessness? What does it mean to break God's law? To break God's law and to, and, and to live in violation in, of God's laws is to seek to enjoy the blessings of God without obedience to God. Sin is seeking to enjoy God's creation without obedience to the Creator. Sin is seeking to enjoy the Father's inheritance without the Father. To violate God's laws is to violate the relationship with God and thus seek that he doesn't live any longer. That's what they were doing on the cross. They wanted the blessings of this life without a king, without God. We want to exterminate him because we don't want to submit to his laws. This was the temptation in the Garden of Eden. Satan tempted Adam and Eve with theft. He lied to them and told them that they could gain God's reward through rebellion. And we find that rebellion, that desire to, to have life on our terms in each one of us. And if you weren't sure this morning where to identify or where to find your place in this story, you identify with the criminals. That's a safe place to start. And so as we examine the, the criminals on the cross, I want to draw our attention to what I like to call the two R's at Calvary. The two R's at Calvary. The, the ESV has made it easy for us this morning. There, there are two verbs in this, in this passage that start with the letter R that help us understand our redemption. The first, uh, the first of these two R's at Calvary is the word rebuke. We see one of these criminals rebuking the other one. The other R that we will focus on this morning is remember. So rebuke and remember. When we look at the book of Matthew and the book of Mark, we find both gospels reveal that both criminals reviled Jesus. Matthew 27, 44 reads, And the robbers who were 
crucified with him, also reviled him in the same way. And we find in verse 39 of Luke chapter 23 that one thief railed at Jesus, but the other rebuked. So what do we make of this? Is Matthew and Mark, are they contradictions to Luke? No. One of the the blessings that we have of all the gospel accounts testifying to this story is where we find that both were true. At one point, both of these thieves, these robbers, these criminals were railing at Jesus. They were railing and, and mocking Jesus just like the rulers and soldiers. And this is what makes this this criminal's repentance all the more amazing. How do you turn from reviling Jesus to now rebuking your partner in crime? How did this criminal turn from railing Jesus to repentance and faith? When you you look at what he's saying in this passage, this criminal basically preaches a, a sermon on the cross. How did this happen? How did he gain faith to turn and trust into Jesus? And these are all answers that that we don't find in this text this morning. But I think what we find in the book of Romans is that we see the process laid out of repentance and faith. Romans 10 and verse 10 verses 13 and 14 tell us, For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's clear this thief called on Jesus. Meaning somehow, some way, he was able to to hear a message about Jesus, to hear preached word and to turn into trust in him. And we aren't told how and and when and how these things happen. but, But perhaps this thief was moved by the fact that Jesus would pray for him that Jesus' priestly prayer on the cross, he would pray for him. He would would hear Jesus praying as others are shouting and hurling insults at him that this unrecognizable Savior would be praying for him, that Jesus had him on his mind, as the song would say, and that Jesus took the time to pray for him. And in a moment, whether it was minutes whether it was an hour, we don't know how long, but at some part, at some point in time, his heart was gripped. And I can imagine him asking himself, why am I railing at my Redeemer? They were mocking and scoffing, scoffing at Jesus to save himself. And I believe Jesus' selfless prayer spoke to this criminal. That Jesus, this innocent man, would spend his last waking moments seeking to save others and not to save himself. We find in Luke's gospel account that Jesus came to save thieves and criminals. There were two criminals, both railed, both reviled, but one repented. And Jesus, he has given us this morning what I believe is the perfect illustration, the perfect parable to highlight what true repentance is. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 21. Verses 28 through 32, as Jesus tells this parable, he says, what do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. 
which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. It doesn't get any clearer than that. The thief on the cross repented. He railed at Jesus in the beginning, but changed his mind. Thank God for the ability to repent this morning. This should encourage us that the time is always right now to turn to Jesus. When you see Jesus has come to save you, you turn immediately and you run to him. And this is what we find the criminal doing. But I, the question I had was, why rebuke? He could have just, could he not have just turned to Jesus and just said, Jesus, remember me? Why did he have to rebuke his fellow man? Perhaps he realized what James 4 tells us is that friendship with the world is enmity with God. James 4, 7 and 8 tells us to submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Perhaps in his mind, he, he realized if I'm going to be with Jesus, I got to separate myself from the, from the things of this world. Or maybe, maybe, perhaps maybe, he wanted the other thief to wake up. Perhaps this thief wanted both of them to trust in Jesus. Maybe he was motivated by love to rebuke him and to do as we see in Jude 23, that he, maybe he sought to snatch him from the fiery flames at the, at the last second of his life, to wake him up, to, to try to shake him. Don't you see you are railing against God? Stop it. Turn, repent. Maybe that was his motivation. Let's read, let's read again the words of this thief rebuking the other criminal. Luke 23, verses 40 and 41. He says to him, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. It's good for us this morning to, to, under, to, to understand and examine those who who Jesus came to save. Jesus came not only to save sinners, thieves, and criminals, but he came to save those who are under condemnation. This is why you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus because you need saving. They were on the cross. This is the ultimate picture of us being under condemnation, stretched on the cross, dying for your sin. But there you have Jesus in the middle, standing as your last opportunity to receive salvation. The truth of the matter is, is that they didn't have enough crosses that day for people to be to be put on. Everyone there should have been on a cross. It should have been a massive day of crucifixion across the whole world, crucifying everyone for their sin, except for one, Jesus. This is what he was trying to get this thief to see. That you need to turn to Jesus and receive the forgiveness and in these two verses, verses 40 and 41, we are watching a man transition from death to life. All the ingredients for conversion are there. He recognized he was a sinner. He understood 
He was under the just uh, judgment and condemnation of God. He confessed. He believed. He made a public proclamation of faith. And he turned to Jesus. Imagine him on the cross. I don't know whether he was on the right or on the left side. The text doesn't tell us. But he turned. He turned his face to Jesus. And the direction doesn't matter because whenever you turn away from a thief or a robber, you're turning away from the way of the world and you're turning to Jesus. You're turning to salvation. You're turning away from Satan. You're turning to your Redeemer. That's what he did on the cross. He forsook his way and turned and looked towards Jesus. Or he turned away from Satan looking towards Jesus. This is what he does on the cross. So the question for us this morning is, have you turned to Jesus this morning? Have you turned away from your, your, your desire to live life on your terms? This is what the thief on the cross did. And when he turned to Jesus, he expressed his newfound confidence in Jesus. Everyone else there expressed doubt that day. No longer a thief, now a follower of Jesus, he expresses his confidence in him. Think about what, what's being said before this. The, the rulers are saying, if... If he's the son of God, if he's the Messiah, the soldiers are saying, if, if he is a king, if this, if that. And there's a saying that goes, if if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. (laughs) You didn't think I was going to bring that one out, did you? (laughs) But on that day, they were all drunk with deception. They were all filled with deception in their hearts. Drunk with their wrath, drunk with their reviling against Jesus. But this one on the cross, he turns to Jesus and not saying if, he says when. Think about that this morning. He doesn't say if you get in your kingdom, would you remember me? He says when, when, when you get into your kingdom, all I ask is that you remember me. Remember me. I believe. Just don't forget about me. I'm with you. Everybody else has forsaken you. Just remember me. Don't don't forget me. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds by giving him his assurance of of pardon. Jesus gives him the assurance of salvation. Jesus gives him what Hebrew says is a better word. Jesus gives him the assurance of grace. Jesus gives him what Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him who is able to do far abundantly more than we can ask or think. He asked for remembrance. Jesus said, you know what? You don't even have to worry about me remembering you. Today, you will be with me always and forever. You will never be separated from me because of your sin ever again. Now, we're gonna, we, we all going to die today. We're going we're gonna to face death. But my promise is today you will be with me. This is the assurance that we have in Jesus this morning. That if we were to die today, if we have faith in him, that Jesus promises that we will be with him, never to be separated again. This is our Jesus this morning. This is our Lord this morning. What an assurance that we have in Jesus. The promise that, yes, we might die, we will die in this life. But the assurance that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. That's good news. That's good news this morning. And you know the amazing truth that we get from this passage this morning? I believe the Christian life can be summed up in two words. Remember me. This is the glorious truth of the gospel. 
that Jesus has come remembering his father's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, hearing and remembering the cry of his people. Jesus comes to us and we come to him pleading that he would remember us. Don't forget me in my sin. Don't leave me alone in this world. Remember me, the cry of the psalmist. What is the cry of David? Lord, you've forgotten about me. Remember me. This is how we walk through this Christian life, pleading before the Father, remember me. In frustration, we come to him saying, remember me. And what we find in Jesus' assurance to this new man, this new creation we find on the cross, is that, yeah, I remember. I won't forget. I could never forget those who I came to save. That's why I came. You don't have to worry about me forgetting. But what's interesting is, what, what I like to challenge us to, to, to remember this morning or to think about is when Jesus remembers us, what does he remember? Hebrews 8 and verse 12 says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. Hebrews 10, 17. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Paul challenges us in Philippians 2, 5, to have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. What mind is that? If we are to have the mind of Christ this morning, we need to remember the things he remembers and forget the things he forgets. Namely, we need to forget our sin. If Jesus is promising to us that he won't remember our sins anymore, why do you remember your sin? I don't know about you this morning. Maybe this is just confession for me. I get tired of remembering my sin. I get tired of Satan beating me up all week, reminding me of my sin. I need to be here each Sunday to come to the table to remember that Christ doesn't remember my sins. And then we have this morning and every week a little bit of show and tell. We have this table right before us. And what does it say? Do this in remembrance of me. We walk this Christian life pleading to Jesus to remember us. And what does he say back to us? Remember me. We plead to him, remember me. And Jesus says, remember me. Do this, do this this morning in remembrance of me. What is communion about? It's about remembering Jesus, not remembering your sin. I, I had the opportunity this past Friday. I was at a I was at a conference where they did communion, and I was just gripped by this reality that I need to not remember my sin, but remember Jesus. When they gave the opportunity to come to the table, I forgot all about the people in front of me. And I just walked down, cutting people in line, and I'm standing there embarrassed. I'm like, man, I forgot I'm supposed to wait. But that's, but that's how we should be this morning. I know we got to wait on each other, but you, you ought to be anxious, like, like ready to run a race to come to the table, to forget your sin, to remember what Christ has done for you on the cross. Again, I'm just going to do a little public confession this morning. I want to be a better father and a better husband. I'm quick to remind my children of their sin, but I'm terrible at reminding them of Jesus. How much better would my marriage be if I reminded my wife of Jesus? What do we do when we come to church each week? We remind each other of Jesus. I love sports. I don't need you to remind me of the Braves. They remind me of losing. They remind me of my sin, how I'm lost. Remind me of Jesus. 
Remind me of Jesus this morning. When we come together, that's what we need to do. Remind one another of Jesus. That Jesus will come to us and say, remember me. Again, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed at this, that Christ would, we would come to him and say, remember me, Jesus. And he in turn says, remember me. The way that we're going to walk out this Christian life is by remembrance of him. So important is this idea of remember me, remember Jesus. So important is it that we don't forget Jesus. God gave us the book of Hebrews. The whole book of Hebrews is written to a book of people, to a group of people that have forgotten Jesus. That's the whole point. If you want to know what Hebrews is about, it is about remembering Jesus. And you see that creatively throughout the whole book over and over and over again. They're mentioning to you, remember Jesus. Remember how he's better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than this sacrifice. He's better. He brings a new covenant. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. You see in Hebrews 3.1. Consider Jesus, the apostle, the high priest of our confession. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Over and over again, this book is encouraging us to remember Jesus. And so for some of us this morning, maybe you've never called on Jesus before. You can do that right now. He's hearing. He's listening. He's waiting for you to come to him, pleading that he would save you. And he doesn't forget. That's the assurance that you have this morning. Turn to Jesus and ask him to save you. And maybe for some of us this morning, maybe it's been a while since we've talked to Jesus. Maybe we need to come to Jesus and say, it's me, Jesus. Do you remember me? I know it's been a while. I know I haven't prayed. I haven't read your word. I haven't been to church in a while. But it's me, Jesus. Do you remember me? And what would be Jesus' response? Of course I remember you. I remember everyone I came to save. How could I forget? When we think about our, our, our relationship with Jesus, it can be like what's, what's spoken of with friends, that they can be separated for years and they can come together and not any words be spoken and they just reconnect just as if they've never been separated. That's the type of relationship we have with Jesus. If you would come to him, he remembers you. He knows you. But we must also remember him. Let's pray.